For the past several weeks, we've been looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer under the title, The Best Prayer Ever. And what we've been trying to accomplish is, number one, we're, we're trying to figure out what we're saying in the Lord's Prayer. Petitions or requests like, hallowed be your name, uh, we say it, but we don't really know it. And so we've, we've been looking at what are we saying. And then our second goal is that we take this model of a prayer that Jesus has given us and we bring it into our own prayer life uh, so that our relationship with God deepens. And today we get to that petition, that request, which you could argue is the most important one in the whole thing. And so we're going to jump right in today. Matthew chapter 6, here's what we're told. This is Jesus speaking. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And forgive us our debts. We understand what debts are, don't we? Uh, in, in preparation for this sermon, I did some research. Do you know what the average American debt is? 10,000, 25,000, nope, higher. 350? No, no. The average American is $38,000 in debt. That's excluding a mortgage payment. That's excluding a mortgage payment. So 38,000 in debt without a mortgage payment. What does that mean? That means that the average American has wanted to purchase things or have had bills that they've had to pay for that they don't have the money. And so they go to a bank or they go to their credit card and they put that payment and they take out that payment as a loan with the idea that they're going to pay it back. And the average American is $38,000 in debt to pay back. Do you know what happens uh, over time? Debt takes a toll on an individual. Uh, not just financial toll, but an emotional toll. Debt, after a little while, after it keeps kind of hanging out, what happens? A, a, a person gets stressed. They get stressed. They hyperventilate when the bill comes in the mail. They lose sleep at night as they, they lie awake trying to figure out, how am I going to get out of debt? What are all the ways that I'm going to do this? Stress leads to lack of focus. Stress leads to a nagging worry in the back of our minds. Once debt remains for a little bit and it starts piling up and starts rising, what happens? Stress gives way to fear and panic. People start to get afraid. Every time the phone rings, panic sets in and they get scared that it's the bill collector calling. Fear leads to catastrophic thinking. Instead of rationally thinking through what's the most rational outcome here, it leads to catastrophic thinking and the thoughts go to, I'm going to be foreclosed on, my house is going to be foreclosed on, I'm going to be out on the streets, I'm going to have no food, I'm going to have no money, I'm going to starve. That's just what's going to happen here. And then once fear and panic set in, it then slowly leads to anger. Anger towards the mailman who's delivering the bill. Anger towards the bill collectors who are calling. 
Anger towards your boss for not paying you more. Anger towards your spouse for not making more money so that they could help pay off the, the debt. Anger towards yourself. Because I got myself into this mess and I'm angry that I did it. Anger towards myself because I'm not making more to pay it off. Anger towards myself that I can't figure this out. Angry at everyone because of debt. And then eventually anger leads to depression. It's hopeless. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no getting out of this. It's game over. Debt takes an emotional toll. And that's just financial debt. Debt comes in many different shapes, many different sizes, and, and all kinds of things. And the debt we want to focus on today is emotional debt. Emotional debt. If you've ever hurt somebody, you know what emotional debt is. You feel this obligation that you owe this person. If you cut somebody down, you hurt them physically, you feel like you have to make it up to them. I have to pay them back in some way in order to make this relationship right again. And so what do we do? Uh, we say we're sorry. We send them a nice gift. We give them a hug. If it's your spouse, you do the dishes and clean the house and take care of the kids for the night. Uh, and, and then you say, are we good? And then if they say yes, then you feel good. Your debt's been paid. It's all back to, it's all good. But if they say no, what begins to happen? Stressed. And if it continues to linger, it gets to fear and panicking. How are we going to get over this? What's going to happen? Oh, my marriage is ending. The relationship is over. And then if fear and panic leads to anger, why can't they just get over it? And then depression, as that person is probably going to be out of our life if this doesn't get fixed. What about your relationship with God? When you come into God's presence, how do you feel? Do you feel stressed? Do you feel fearful and panicky? Do you get angry? Do, do, are you depressed? Because here's the reality, and it's the first point this morning. You owe God. You owe God. As I mentioned earlier in the service, God created us as relational people. Because God's relational. Even before the beginning of the world, from all time, there's been the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they've had a relationship with one another. And so when God creates the world, He creates mankind as His crown of creation, the number one creation. And He created human beings to have a relationship with Him, created them to walk with God, to talk with God, to have a good relationship with Him. And that's still true today. Whether people recognize it or not, they have a relationship with God. And so guess what that means? Just like any other relationship, there's expectations. And God says, here's what I expect from you. I expect that you love me and you love people. And so guess what that means? Every time you sin, it's ultimately against God, right? You lose your patience with your kids, sin against God. You lust after someone who's not your spouse. Sin against God. You gossip and, and talk badly about somebody. Sin against God. You bully somebody at school or at work. Sin against God. You disrespect your parents. Sin against God. 
Every single sin goes back to God. It's ultimately against Him. Now imagine how you feel after you sin against somebody one time. You feel guilty, you feel bad, uh, you want to make it up. Now imagine standing before God who knows every single debt that you have committed. He knows every single thought that you've had. He knows every single action that you've taken. He has heard every single thing that you have said since the womb. The Bible says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. How long must your list be? How long must it be? If you've been sinning since conception, how long must that debt be before God? You don't know. I don't know. But God does. And He's got it in front of Him. And He says, You owe me. You owe God. How do we go about paying that off? How do we go about making up for it? There's a story of a, a boy who went on a family vacation to Washington, D.C. And he, he walks up and he's standing outside the Washington Monument and he said, wow. He looks and there's a security guard standing there and he goes, hey, sir, I want to buy that. How much? And the security guard says, a lot of money. He goes, okay. Digs in his pocket, pulls out a quarter and says, here you go. Security guard looks down and says, you're going to need more than that. And he said, I thought you might say that. Digs in his pocket, pulls out nine more cents. And he says, here you go. Security guard gets down on his knees and says, son, you cannot buy the Washington Monument for 34 cents. You can't buy the Washington Monument for $34 million. So stop trying. Sometimes I think we approach God that way. We see our monumental debt before him. And we say, God, I want to enter heaven, but I know I need to pay this off, so how much? And God says, way more than you can afford. And we say, okay, here's 25 good works. And God says, you need more than that. And so we say, I, th I thought you might say that, so here's nine more. And God says, son, you need more than 34 good works. You need more than 34 million good works. In fact, you can't have enough good works, so stop trying. You see, this is a problem in modern Christianity. What does modern Christianity want to tell you? It's all about me. I can be good enough. I need to be a better Christian. I need to do this. I need to do that. But in reality, we can't do anything when it comes to our debt before God. In fact, if we approach God with these good works, with these righteous works that we do, here's what God says. Isaiah 64, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. We approach God with their good works, and God says, these are filthy rags. These are filthy rags if you are trying to pay off your debt with good works. It's not going to work. So stop trying. So guess what that means? Every morning we wake up and our debt before God increases. 
and there's nothing we can do about it. Guess what emotions that leads to? Stress. As I wake up every morning walking on eggshells, trying not to add to my debt, then it leads to fear and panicking as I realize I can't stop sinning and my debt is just increasing. And so then when my spouse says, hey, why don't we go to church, I, I get fearful and panicky. If I see a Bible, I get, I get scared. If I think about God, uh, my eternal destination comes into question and I'm scared. And that leads to anger. God, why do you have such high expectations for me? Why have you made this so difficult on me that I can't do it? We get angry at ourselves because I can't stop. And finally, it leads to depression. There's no hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no hope. And when we get to that point, guess where that leaves us? Hitting our knees and begging, Father, have mercy on me. That's all I can ask. Have mercy on me. Do you know what God says? It's your second point today. God declares, you don't owe me. You don't owe me, he says. There's a lot of talk today uh, about forgiving student debt. And to be honest, I don't really care what side of the political aisle you fall on that. Uh, I think we can all agree that if that happens, there's some good that comes from it. But it's not free, right? For that student, for that person who took out the student loan, they're free. It's free from them. They are forgiven. They lose all that debt. It's great for them. But for the bank that gave out that money, they were expecting to get money back. They were expecting to get paid back. And so if they have to forgive that person, guess what that means? They absorb the loss. Or they have to pay it back themselves. You see, that's the way it is with forgiveness. Forgiveness is free for the recipient, but it's expensive for the one who gives it. And the same is true with our God. The same is true with our God. Here's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. I have a friend who, while he was going to seminary, worked for a bill collector agency. And all he did was answer the phones and, and receive payment. And he said his favorite phone calls were the ones that, where the person called in and it was making their last payment. And every time this is what he would do, he'd say, okay, are you ready? And he'd put them on speakerphone. And they'd say, yep. And then he'd take his big red stamp and he'd say, all right, here we go. Right over their name in big red letters, P-I-F, which stands for paid in full. When Romans crucified criminals, they crucified them and up above them, they had the charge against them. And so if you remember what was nailed above Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That was the legal charge that Jesus was dying for. That's what people saw. But what did God see? God saw your bill. The list of all of your sins. The ones that stood against you. The charge of legal indebtedness which stood against you 
and condemned you. Your bill towards God. And God said, it's nailed up here. Your name is above it. Are you ready? And he takes the blood of Jesus and in big, bright red letters above your name writes P-I-F. Paid in full. And he says, you don't owe me. You're forgiven. Free of charge. Because of Jesus. He nailed it to the cross where you are forgiven. And now our relationship with God is totally different. Now when we come before Him, we're not stressed, we're not fearful and panicky, we're not uh, angry, we're not depressed. What are we? We're filled with joy. Filled with thanks and praise. We are, we are filled with peace. We are filled with hope. Father, forgive us our debts. God says, I have. You are forgiven because of Jesus. But there's a second half to this petition, isn't there? Father, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. At some point in your life, somebody's going to hurt you. And they're going to hurt you really bad. And we all end up having debtors, people who owe us emotionally. So who is it for you? Is it your spouse? Is it your boss? Your children? Your parents? Somebody at school? A friend? Is it me or another pastor who wasn't there for you when you needed pastoral counseling or pastoral help? We all have people who have sinned against us and owe us. And sometimes it's really big. How do we go about forgiving somebody like that? How do we go about it? It's your last point today. Our canceled debt compels us to cancel theirs. Here's what 1 John says. We love because He first loved us. I'm going to tell you it's impossible to forgive or it's really, really hard to forgive unless at first you soak in the forgiveness that you've had. Unless if you realize the ginormous debt that God has paid off for you and has forgiven you for, it's going to be hard to forgive somebody when they sin against you. But when we do, when we, when he, we soak up His love and His forgiveness, it then compels us to love and forgive others. And it's only when we do that that we can forgive. We've seen this forgiveness. If you've been watching the news lately, you've seen this forgiveness in the last two weeks. Uh, about a year ago, police officer, off-duty police officer named Amber Geiger up in the Dallas area uh, was coming home to her apartment, walked into what she thought was her apartment, and shot and killed the man who lived there, thinking he was an intruder. She was in the wrong apartment, though. Last week, she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And after the sentencing was done, the man's brother who died, who had been shot and killed by this woman, the man's brother got up on the stand, and here's what he said to Amber. I hope you go to God with all the guilt, all the bad things you may have done in the past, 
Each and every one of us have, may, may have done something we're not supposed to do. If you are truly sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. Do you know how that scene ended? He left and he gave her a hug, right? He gave her a hug. And she sobbed. Why? Because she owes a debt to that man and his family that she can never, ever pay back. She cannot bring that, per that, that guy that she killed. She can't bring him back to life. She can't bring him back to life. And this guy stood up on the stand and said, I forgive you, and God will too. How can he do that? It's because he has first soaked in Jesus' love and forgiveness for himself. It's only when we soak in God's love and God's forgiveness that then that compels us to forgive. When we think we've been forgiven little, we forgive little. But when we think we've been forgiven a lot, we forgive a lot. That's what Jesus says. And so if you're struggling to forgive, go back to that. Realize just the amount of debt that's been forgiven for you and that will compel you to forgive others. It will. Father, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. Let's pray asking God's blessings on this this week. Father in heaven, uh, we praise and thank you that uh, you have a heart to forgive, a heart to love. We thank you that you have given us the forgiveness through Jesus that we so desperately need. Uh, Father, you know the, the amount of sin that's been forgiven for us. We don't because we don't even know how often we sin, but you do. And we thank you that you have forgiven us. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to strengthen our faith in, in Jesus as our Savior and then to strengthen us to forgive uh, when, those, when people sin against us. Uh, help us to soak in your love, soak in your forgiveness, and then give it to others uh, just like you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.